So this is just a reminder of whatever it is. It's like, because this is a subjective experience, it's going to be whatever it is to you. I mean, there is no quote-unquote message in a way. There's just an invitation, and then you make it what you make of it. Somebody will make it as, oh, I've heard this before, and catalog it into something that's been known. Others will hear it and then immediately apply doing and having to it. Like, I'm going to do myself into this message, and I'm going to have this message, which is totally pointless, because there's no you to have the message, and there's no you to do, do yourself into the message. Literally, the whole message is, is there, it's like, the whole message is about, first of all, that you've never been plugged into this system called self-centeredness. You have never become a self. Yeah? But in this system of self-centeredness, it seems like you're unplugged. Yeah? That's the translation. It's not really so, because you've never been plugged in to self-centeredness, but it seems in, this, in the translation that you're unplugged from it. Yeah? So you get unplugged from self-centeredness, and then you, instead of seeing from that system, you see the system. Yes? Once you see the system... After a period of time of seeing it, it could be that immediately or it may take a little bit of time, but there will be a sense, if I'm seeing something, I must not be it. Yeah? It just becomes logical or in a, on a deep level, not even logical. It just hits you on a deep level. If I'm seeing something, I must not be it. Yes? And also, when something stops and there seems to be a continuation, then I would say you're the continuation, not what stops. Yeah? So when selfing stops, when and selfing is a verb, that's what it is, it's a verb, a mental verb, it's as if it's a, a product of a mental process, yes? That mental process is selfing, and the selfing is a verb that implies a noun, a self, yes? So if your attention and interest is wedded to, the, to that selfing, to that verb, then in that wedding, it spawns a sense of being a noun. Yeah? So now, instead of selfing, instead of seeing a verb of a mental process, you see from the noun that it implies. You now take yourself to be a noun. Yeah? Let's say rooted in the identification as a body. And so from that point on, you're now looking at life from self-centeredness. You're not seeing anymore. Seeing is bye-bye. It's always seeing, but you're missing the seeing because there's a feeling that it's you looking. Yeah? The seeing is a layer of interpretation is put on it that it's you looking. So you can, it starts very, very simply in every moment of conscious contact. Yeah? In every moment, there seems to be a contact with this through hearing, seeing, feeling, tasting, touching. Yeah? And then another sense is thinking. So you see a thought, the mind sees a thought like an eye sees a bird go by, yes? The mind sees a thought. There's no thinking of the thought. There's no thinker of the thought. There's just thoughts arising, yes? And because there's an awareness there noted or seen. Now what happens is, with the seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching, is the mental process, when it reacted to that verb of living, it... it its logic, its system is based on an idea of being a self, so it had to see that there must have been a doer or a seer or a hearer or a thinker or a feeler or a taster. That's immediately what it assumes when it senses seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching. It, is, it assumes there's a seer. Yeah? Now, in fact, it's correct. There is a seer, but it's not the seer it believes to be. Yeah? It's the subjectivity that's seeing. The I, yes, the I-I, if you want to call it, that's what's seeing, that's what's hearing, that's what's feeling, that's what's tasting. But the mental process says, I'm seeing, I'm hearing, I'm feeling, but that I uh, is, represents this. Yeah. So the subjectivity is taken to be an object. Yeah. So subjectivity, which is seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching, subjectivity without an object, it's not an object. Subjectivity cannot be seen, felt, tasted, or touched. It's like the eye can never see itself. Yeah? It's always looking, 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 but it can't see itself. So the subjectivity can't be an object. It's just subjectivity. So all it's doing is seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching. Yes? 
Now, one of the objects it sees, hears, feels, tastes, and touches this, but this object has taken itself to be the subject. Yeah? So the mental process claims the seeing and says, I'm the seer. It claims the hearing, I'm the hearer. It claims the feeling, I'm the feeler of this. This is my feeling. And as soon as the my, which is the act of being identified, occurs, yeah, just, you can see it. You watch it. Watch your head. You'll see it. Well, as soon as the my occurs to a feeling or to a thought or to a body or to time, yes, or to another object, as soon as the my, the act of being identified with that object occurs, that's like a bridge for a lot, a lot of meanings to come from your little conditional network here, all those ideas, all those old ideas and beliefs and conditionings, and those meanings transfer to that object over the bridge of mind. Yeah? Yes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the idea, so here, let's say there's a girlfriend, you're going out, or a boy. It's nice, you're having a good time. Suddenly, at one day, they become your girlfriend, your boyfriend, and then usually stalking charges occur a couple <laughs> months later. Some crazy shit happens because you now think it's yours, yes? That you have the right to call her up at two in the morning and find out what she's been doing that night. And all this stuff. Just, you just cross incredible boundaries, yes? And it's the mind, yeah? Just like a thought is a thought, but if it's your thought, it's totally different. As soon as it becomes your thought, there's so much weight put into that thought. It's unbelievable, yeah? You could have the same thought the day before and feel pretty good. It didn't mean much. But the next day, if you're not in what you would call good condition, it's super heavy. Is the thought heavy? Obviously not. What's giving it its weight isn't the thought. It's you. And I mean truly you, not you as a noun, but the verb of you is the transfer of all this meaning to that thought. Because you believe the thought's about you or you're the thinker of it. Yeah? Soon as you claim a thought and it's yours, what happens? You have a lot of opinions about that thought, don't you? That was a bad thought. I can't share that with anyone. That would blow my whole little act. My identity of a spiritual teacher would be shot out the window if they knew what I was thinking right now. Or if it's a good thought, you know, yeah, it's very proud. If it's like a little dirty thought, a little pornography, you got to put that into the secret vault, you know. And on, on, and on, and on, and on. And every one of them that came to go has now been stamped, yes, stamped with identification, and it creates an orbit around you. So let's say you have a thought that occurred when you were young, that something was wrong with you, that you're not lovable, yes? Every time a situation triggers that, that thing hasn't left its orbit around you. It's still been, even though you haven't seen it in years, it's just a big elliptical orbit. It comes back, yes? And then, fuck, I thought I'd gotten rid of that. I thought I did an inventory on that. I thought that resentment was gone. No, it just had a large orbit. Some have very short orbits. It's all about how you look every day, same, 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 you know what I mean? I mean, you don't really change much your face, but to you, your face is changing every five minutes. Isn't it? Jesus Christ. But everyone who sees you thinks you're Paul, but to you, Paul is like a moving mask of, can they really see how bad I feel today? No, no one could probably see it at all, because they're so obsessed with the way they're looking. Yeah? So here's the thoughts, and these thoughts are orbiting, Yes? Some are, some are, and you, you believe that the thoughts are driving you crazy, yeah? You just, you just grab a chair. Yes? That the thoughts are driving you crazy. But it isn't the thought that's driving you crazy. It's the identification as the thinker or the thought is about you. That's what gives it its weight. Because why, if a thought had a certain weight, then it would have the same weight to everybody, wouldn't it? If, if a thought was real, it was, if its inherent value was contained in its singularity, then everyone who would have that thought would feel the same way from the thought, right? The weight of the thought would rest on you as heavy as it does me. But it's not that way, isn't it? It's all subjective. It's all what the meaning that you give it is, yeah? And obviously the meaning that you give things seems to be based on your condition, yeah? 
If you feel like you're in fit spiritual condition, you can travel pretty light through the thoughts. If you're not feeling that fit, you travel very heavy, don't you? So what are they? Are they heavy or are they light? They're neither, really. They're almost like neutral. And you play a huge role in their effects on you. This is a subjective experience. Yes? Everyone in this room is having a different experience. Have you ever shared at a group and you had an idea what you were saying and then five people come up to you and tell you what you were saying at the meeting and it had no, wasn't even close to what you thought you were saying? Everyone just takes what they want to take. It's all subjective. This is like you throw seeds and for one it will be an avocado plant, the other one's a pineapple. It doesn't, you know, it does, the seed doesn't have any inherent meaning. Yeah? It's given the meaning by who receives the seed. The seed is dictated what it's going to be by the soil it lands in. Yes? Some people have heard the most beautiful message and they've stepped over it like it was day old shit. Really. Just walked right by and did it. Other people were stunned in a second of hearing about the truth. They were just stunned. Their whole life shifted. Why is that? So did the truth have, which one was it? Was the truth totally inconsequential or was it all powerful? It was neither. It was the meaning that the person or that mind that received it gave it. Yeah. That's why the truth cannot be reckoned. First of all, you can't recognize the truth because it's subjective, first of all. Spirit is subjective. You can't see the spirit. You can't feel it. You can't taste it. It's not an object, yes? It's just like St. Francis says, what's looking, which is what's happening right now, is what you are looking for. What's looking, right this very moment, is what your whole life is about looking for. This moment of looking, yeah? This moment. So when you go, alright, what's looking is what you're looking for. So then you start looking. Where is that what's looking? You don't realize, when you're looking for it, that's what's looking. Yeah? When you stop looking for it, that's what's looking. When you look up, that's what's looking. When you look down, that's what's looking. When you look left, when you look right, no matter how you look, no matter when you look, that's what's looking. And that's what you're looking for. How can that be? How can that be? How can what's looking be what I'm looking for? Because why? You think you already know what's looking, don't you? Yes? What's looking is Nancy. As a historical little story with a future t tied onto it, with a lot of mental experiences arising, and incredible concern about you. Yeah? It's called a system called self-centeredness, yeah? Everything is seen as how it pertains to you. It's very difficult to see it. And if, if you see it as how it pertains to another, the other is another you, anyway. <laughs> This you is just called me when I'm identified. That you is called her when I'm not. It's the same you. Yeah? Same, same you. <laughs> when, uh, all I am is the I. I that's looking right now. And the I that's looking right now is the I that's looking right now. 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 The same I is having all of what we call our individual experience. Yes? It's the same I that's looking. Now, in this experience, I think I'm looking at Deb. So Deb is an object, yes? To me as the subject. But Deb is looking at me. So to her, I'm an object. Yes? To her as the subject. Yeah? So we play, we change roles. Yeah? When I'm looking at Greg, I'm the subject. He's the object, yeah? When Greg looks at me, I'm the object. He's the subject. But in fact, there's only one subjectivity. Yeah? The I, I, that's looking. I, 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 I. That's looking at a you. Yes? But when the mental process answers the question, what am I or who am I, what does it say? The mental process proclaims it's me. Yes? What is a me? What is a me? Isn't it a you that's identified? It's a you, but I call it me. <laughs> so, your eye is looking, but if I ask you who's looking, you would say me. Yeah, that's the whole it, right there. 
the I becomes a me, which is a you, yes? Both of them are objects, and the subjectivity is forgotten because you're giving the subjectivity, you're making the subjectivity a verb that you're doing as an object. I'm seeing. I'm thinking. I'm hearing. Have you ever had a feeling and you go, I wish, I don't want to feel that. But didn't you feel it already? Didn't the feeling happen first before there was a reaction to it? If you're looking this way, you're going to see something if your eyes are open. I didn't want to see that, but you saw it. Yeah. <laughs> you really don't have any say in the matter. The first, it, it's like losing in every gunfight you're ever in. Because conscious contact beats you to the draw. Conscious contact is what's bringing us life, and then our mental process interprets it, and it says, I'm the one that's in conscious contact. Yes? Paul, I'm seeing, I'm hearing, I'm feeling, I'm tasting, I'm touching. And then the subjectivity gets clothed in subjectiveness. That's what's so filthy, trippy. You think it the same way. You're still the subject, but it's not, you're not the subjectivity, but you still feel like you're the subject. Yes? Yeah? And you're having a personal experience, you're having personal thoughts, you have feelings of this body, but you don't have feelings of that body. So it seems like the subjectivity is truly mixed with this. So I, as this, am what's subjective. Yes? I'm the subject of this world. But in fact, we're not. We're an object that subjectivity is moving through. Yeah? It's like the old thing I used to always talk about, the telescope. There's the telescope, and then uh, there's the stars. And so a scientist wants to see the stars. Yeah? So what does he do? He looks through this little machine that has tons of lenses that create the optical illusion as if the stars are closer. Yeah? But if you look at the experience from afar, the stars haven't moved any closer. They're still way up there. But to the person who's looking through the telescope, the stars seem to be closer. Yes? Yeah? So, but what's looking at the stars? Is it the telescope, or is it the scientist that's peering through the telescope? What happens if the scientist walks away? Is the telescope seeing? Or does the telescope just facilitate seeing? Yeah. So this is facilitating seeing. Yeah? Subjectivity is facilitated through this camera to see itself as other in a way. Because subjectivity can never see itself. But the best it can do is appear to be something else and then see that. Yeah? So subjectivity produces appearances of other objects that it can now have an experience of. And in the real joy of it is, is when you see that they're the same. Yeah? When the undifferentiated light that's seen, all this differentiated light appearing, it's the same light. Yeah? The undifferentiated life, light of subjectivity that's seeing all the appearances here, which are differentiated light, they're the same, exactly the same. Yes? The seer and the seen are the same. So it's the closest thing you can ever get to knowing what you are is by seeing it in what you're not. Yeah? You can't get any closer than that. You can't see what you are, ever. You can't know it, you can't taste it, you can't think it, you can't smell it, you can't hear it, because it is no thing. For you to know something, it must be an object, yes? When you know something in your head, it's a mental object. A thought is like an object, yes? A very subtle object, but it's a mental object, yeah? You can only know an object. You, to know something, it must be outside of you, yes? So for me... You'll never know the truth, but right now you're, you can, you're living, knowing from the truth all the time. Yeah? Instead of, I'm, oh shit, I'm never going to have an experience of the truth, but all your experiences are being from the truth. I mean, give me a break. What a difference. If you're hoping to have an experience of the truth that's going to come and go, yeah, that you're going to try to memorialize and make it into a special symbolic peak moment in your life and put it on your little spiritual mantle, or the way you live all day can be fused, infused with the idea of the truth. Yes? I mean, it's a huge different leap of living. Then you can see life is happening, not that it's happening to you all day, which is self-centeredness. Yes? 
There's got to be an identification with this for you to think that life is happening to something. Life can only happen to an object, yes? If, the, if, if two cars have an accident and one car is a no-thing, there's no accident. There's no running into. You need two cars to have a collision. If there's only one car, it has to run into an object, yes? For a collision to occur. Yeah? So here, you and I can affect each other. We're appearances. Disappearance can get hurt by hitting disappearance, yes? Really hurt. And in this sense, when I get, when this get hurt, I think I've been hurt. Because I'm identified as this. And so, this getting hurt validates my belief that I'm this. Yeah? But it's just an appearance, and the appearance can only affect other appearances. It cannot affect the space that the appearances are happening in. It cannot affect the space that the appearances are happening in. The content cannot leave one mark on the context. Yes? The context being space, and the content being what's appearing in space. An appearance cannot produce an effect on the space because the space is real and the appearance isn't. If you're not real, you have no real effect. Yes? But in, let's just like if you're having that dream, and in that dream you meet a tiger, you're scared shit of that tiger, right? And you think it's as real as real can be, and so maybe you try to study books, how to get along with tigers, and you know, make sure they're fed well before you move close, or whatever. But the fact is, there's always going to be this underlying tension that this tiger could rip your head off. And there'll never be a true solution as a dreamt object. If you're taking yourself to be real, then you're going to take the dreamt tiger to be real. The only solution to that dreamt tiger is to wake up, yes? As soon as there's a waking up from the dream, you don't, you're not afraid of the dreamt tiger anymore. It's like my mother, my mother was uh, in wheelchair near, you know, when she got older, and she had a one-bedroom, a one-bedroom apartment, not even a bedroom, like, in like a nursing area. And she used to pass out. She used to drink a lot in the wheelchair, and she'd pass out. And then she couldn't get to the kitchen to eat, yeah? And then she couldn't get to the phone. They didn't have cell phones. And then we'd show up, and she'd be in a real bad state. So what happened is we did an intervention, and we moved her into a nursing home, the family, yes? And every day for the first week or so, she was really afraid she wasn't going to get food, like breakfast, lunch, and dinner, because of the conditioning of not being able to get it. But every day, they brought the breakfast at the same time, the lunch and the dinner, and after a few days, that fear was, she left that fear, yes? Because she woke up to the fact that she was going to be taken care of. Yeah? The same thing. So if, in this place of appearance, appearances can affect other appearances, yes? This is how we, this is how we make a, an agreement that we're real, is by you hurting my feelings really bad, or my, me hurting your feelings really bad. That's a verification that we're really in, real and solid. But in the context, the context of space, I can't strangle space. Yes, can I? If I throw a punch, what, what am I going to aim at? There's no chin. There's no objectivity. That's space. And yet, and therefore, what I am as this doesn't affect that at all. One bit. If, like, we always do it with the chair. If I remove this chair from here, yeah? I got up and removed this chair over here. And it's been there for 50 years, let's say. 50 years it's been in this same place. When you look at that chair where it was, the only thing that you have about it now is a memory, yeah? You can't see the chair. And did I have to move some space in to where the chair was? In other words, was the chair taking up space? Was it taking up space? No. So I didn't have to move it in. Just like if we took this wall down, I wouldn't have to move in a certain amount of space. A wall took up. And the chair, the only place I would see the chair's effects would be on other appearances, like the rug. Yeah. And it's a, it's, let's say it's, it's marked up this thing by resting on it. Yeah. But it wouldn't show any ex, any uh, effects in here in the space, would it? By looking at the space, would you know that the chair was ever there? It's like it was never happened, ever happened. There was no remnants, there's no marks of its being there at all, in the space. What's the difference between me and that space? Yeah? And the chair. 
I go, am I going to have to get, no matter how important I was, am I going to have to have this vast amount of space to take up the importance that I was inhabiting in the space? No. Yes? And if you looked, if you went down to your hometown where you did the most heinous act, I bet you there's no, and you go down to that street corner, Maple and Burtis, and you look at that time, maybe there would be a mark on the tree where the step van hit and stuff, but basically there would be no evidence that that most heinous thing that you've been carrying around your whole life ever happened in the space. Would it? None whatsoever. So in a way, I'm an appearance, yeah? I'm an appearance in this space. I have no effect on the space whatsoever. My coming and going doesn't leave any mark on the space. Does it really? And in fact, this never mixes with that. Yeah? I can't mark it. I can't tattoo it. I can't grab it. I can't call it. I can't move it. Yes? So there's the context, which I would say space, or like they say in Tibetan Buddhism, open sky mind, you know, is like mind. Mind, mind. Yeah? And what's appearing in it is this. This whole world. Everything, all the objects that we see, feel, taste, touch, are an appearance in the space. Yeah? Yet they don't take up any space. They don't have any effect on the space. So in fact, they have no inherent realness other than in the world of appearance. Yeah? Hallelujah! <laughs> to me, that is so incredible. <laughs> You're off the hook. <laughs> Every tattoo that you thought you put on things is henna. It all washes off. You have no lasting impression on anything. <laughs> That's you're not even a lasting impression. It's beautiful, eh? It's truly beautiful because I would say, truly, you're more of this than ever this. Because this stops quite a lot, but this never stops. How many times have you been? Have you had a day where there has been a thorough absence of self, but you continued? Yeah. Like if you were surfing or having sex or something you really love to do, maybe it was like ten seconds for you, you know. <laughs> Five seconds for the girl, ten seconds for you. <laughs> but whatever. <laughs> if you've ever lost yourself, which obviously you never lost yourself, but if there's been a losing of yourself, that absence is the presence. Yeah? The absence of taking yourself to be an appearance is the presence. When you realize you're not a thing, that opens you up to entertain the no-thing. You cannot entertain the no-thing as a thing. It will become a something. Yes? You'll have to have an idea about the no-thing. You'll have to have a concept about the no-thing, because that's the only way you can know things here as a concept, is by another concept. Yes? So what... If you, as a something, want to know nothing, you're going to make nothing into a something. Yeah? But when you realize that this something is not something, that's nothing. Yes? That's the hit of nothing. That's the sense of presence. The sense of presence is your own absence. Yeah? And the fact is, it's not anything you did. You don't do your own absence. It's just a recognition of what's truly so you actually have never been present as an appearance. An appearance signifies the absence of presence. Yes? The appearance that what we take so seriously and real and positive is actually signifies the absence of what's really real and present. Yes? By our, by our being absorbed in thingness, we, set, we miss out the reality of no-thingness. I mean, the reality of no-thingness. And there's no way, as a thing, you're going to know that. Because you will not let no, you will not leave no thing alone. <laughs> You'll make it into something. So that it can be more palatable to you. Yes? You'll practice it, or you'll do something. But no thing is just recognized. So we start at the point of, are you a long-lasting, independent, separate entity? Are you that? Are you truly a body? 
If you're not a body, yes? If you're not a body, look at the thought system that's running in your head. How does the thought system present you? When the thought system is doing what it does, which is, it doesn't know you, it thinks about you. It takes thinking about you as knowledge, but it isn't knowledge at all. It's all baloney. Yes? But the only way you can know you in this system is to think about you. And how does it think about you? It thinks about you as a body. When it thinks about you in the past, how are you pictured? As a body, yes? When you go over your history, is it the history of no-thingness? Of course not. No-thingness doesn't have a history. <laughs> so when you think of you, you think of you as a body, yeah? And when you worry about you in the future, you're worrying about you as a body. What's, when you go, I'm really worried about what's going to happen to me, what does that me signify to what you're relying on? A body, yes. That's the system of self. That's why it says in recovery, self-reliance has failed us. That's why you're in so much fear, because you're relying on something that's unreliable. You're relying on a navigation of life from being a body. If you take that as your course and your only course, you're missing so many other avenues that you will never even see. You won't even be able to read, this, read the street signs. You'll have no fucking idea. All your possibilities will be distributed to you and reinforced in a small system of selfing. So the best you can do about being okay is you'll be okay later. It's never you're okay now. And your okayness, is it ever just a grace that you're okay, or is it something you have to do, or have, or get, or that someone else has to do for you, or have? Isn't it always a product? Isn't your okayness always a product that's been produced by some action, yours or someone else's, yes? This solution is a causeless solution, a timeless solution. It's not produced. It's not achieved. It's not built. It's not made. It's just realized, yes? It's just entertained. And what occurs when you're in the state of entertaining it, there is a sense of okayness because that's the presence. Your unokayness is the absence of that presence. By being obsessed and absorbed in this, you're inherently unokay. Aren't you? You're constantly looking to get better, aren't you? When does it get called off? Even in your sleep, your dreams are about seeking usually. The only time you have a rest is deep sleep and you're not there to even acknowledge it. <laughs> That's the only time you get a break. <laughs> this is a, it's just a simple invitation. I mean, I did all my work before. I sat a lot of hours on my ass meditating. <laughs> I mean, I don't have no problem with meditation, but if you think you're the meditator... Jesus, when you're thinking you're like uh, stringing like a, a necklace of pearls, it's just a chain of iron. Yeah? You're just bonding yourself to an idea of being a self, a meditator. And worse, if it becomes, if you do enough of those practices and you become a spiritual person, <laughs> Jesus Christ, now you've, got, now you've got gold plate on the iron chain. <laughs> You're polishing it like it's valuable. <laughs> You're wrapping it around your own neck. <laughs>
know recovery, when they say the biggest whole point of recovery is to quit playing God. That's why we turn our will and our lives over to the care of something else. We try to throw a wrench in that playing God by surrendering it to a God of our own understanding. Uh, hopefully down the road, you'll give up the God of your own understanding and find a God of its own understanding. And then real shit can happen. Because the God of your own understanding is a small God. Maybe you'll get a parking space next week. Maybe you'll get a date for Friday or something. You know what I mean? <laughs> the God will always be framed by your God. Yeah? The portal will be so small. You'll have a lock on your side. You'll be locking it and God won't be able to come in. But a God of its own understanding is about finding out. You can't know. The idea of knowing has to be given up. It's not even given up. It just seems ridiculous. Because it's, you keep getting... All of your knowing gets disputed every freaking day. <laughs> it's always off. So you start finding out, yes? And I'm telling you, what life imagines itself as you is incredible to find out. What life will imagine itself to be as you is incredible. Your idea of you will never do it justice. Yeah? Never. Not even close. So... There is, a diff- there is a solution, and there is a better way, or a different way, which is to trust something infinite rather than finite self. And we already have all the faith in this room. Everyone has tons of faith. <coughs> Everyone has tons of faith. You have to see that we're in a place called manifestation. That faith is a potential, yes? And it's the vehicle that it's put in that manages the manifestation. So if I put faith... Into my thoughts, I'm going to have anxiety. Yeah? Lots of anxiety about what's not happening. I'm going to be concerned about what's going to happen to me in the future. Yeah? And in that sense, anything can happen to me in what's not happening. Anything. You can have cancer. You can be totally broke. You can be your boyfriend or girlfriend be sleeping with your best friend next week. All this can be happening, and you'll have no immunity to it. And you'll be having an experience of what you call you, a body and a nervous and a mental and an emotional experience that will be made by your obsession with what's not happening. Anxiety will produce your basic condition now. That's what faith can do. The same faith given over to, perhaps there's a better way, trusting something infinite, which is not a thought system. It is not a thought system. By trusting that, whatever it may be, what happens is that faith translates now into an ease and comfort in your own skin. Yes. Instead of faith producing anxiety, it produces an ease and comfort. It's the same faith, and everyone in this room has tons of it. There's nowhere you there's no you have no need to get any more faith. It's just a matter it's just to tell the truth where the faith lies. If you have faith in your thoughts, you're gonna be flipping out all day. Yeah? Because anything can happen to you tomorrow. You can really, you can be destitute. You can be as rich as hell today, but that rich, being rich as hell will have no effect on you because you believe tomorrow you're going to be destitute. Yeah? We're stuck in that mental realm. And that there is incredible because the there has a past and a future, and it even has a present. But that present isn't present. That present's a mental idea of the present. And the mental idea of the present is that it has no value and it's just meant to be used to do something like thinking about the past or about the future. Isn't it? How many times have you got the, to the feeling that you thought your two-year Stalinist plan was meant to produce? You know, like, if I go to school and I get the girl and I get this, then I'll have arrived and then I will naturally feel happy, joyous, and free. How many times have you been in that condition and just kept on seeking right through it? Yeah? You have a great experience at a retreat, the next thing you do is sign up for another one. You never even let it get sit and mature and do whatever. You immediately want to add on to it. The seeking overrides everything. It has nothing to do with finding. It's just seeking. It's just naked seeking. The mind is just craving stimuli. Yes? Because everything it comes in contact with, yes, it gets a reflection. When anything, let's say you take meditation, and you have spiritual conditioning. So you think meditation is more important than washing the dishes, yes? 
So let's say in the morning you miss your meditation. And let's say you miss your washing the dishes. Is your day totally based, and it's a bad day, based on your mind's interpretation because you didn't wash the dishes? No. But if you miss your meditation, your head's interpretation of the day could be, it's going to be a bad day, I didn't meditate this morning. You see how much meaning you gave it? Yeah. That meaning, which is the real implied meaning to you, is that it's meant to bring you freedom, actually produces bondage, yes? <laughs> Haven't you noticed that? <laughs> People like want to buy a house and it's meant to produce security and a sense of ease, right? You know, I have my own palace, everything's cool. But they're worrying like crazy in the process of getting the house. So they're auctioning off their present well-being for a future well-being. That's crazy, isn't it? something, when you do something you love, that's the type of feeling you can travel as. Is your thought system really loud when you're doing something you love? Usually not, eh? Whatever you're doing is overriding or outshining the narration, isn't it? So you call that, that's something you really like to do. And you try to make your life get to that point where you can do more of it. But that's just a form of traveling. That's like a free sample of what it can be like. Yeah? As soon as the narration, as soon as the mind loses interest in the narration of life based on being a you, because it's entertaining, I may not be that, I'll tell you, all of that foreground stuff will move to the background. And that background, when you only get a sad sample of the background when it's one of those peak moments, moves to the foreground. And your life becomes like that. You travel like that. An overall lightness to you. Yes? Instead of having the irritable, restless, and discontent as your basic norm with shocks of experiences of feeling okay, only to go back to this mean, you know, this basic line, this flips over, and now you're inherently okay, and every once in a while, life spikes, yeah? But it always returns to the inherent okayness. It's like a total flip over. And you travel lighter. And the thing is, you travel so light, you don't even know you're traveling lighter. You're so into what you're doing, when it stops, you forget it. It's like you've, you were so totally, completely with it, you don't have to have any memory of it at the moment. Because it was a complete moment. Bye-bye. It disappears like every other moment, and now you're just into the next moment. And then that, and then that, but bye-bye. But there's a completeness to it. So memory isn't as important as it used to be. Because I believe memory is to really hide the tracks of that you weren't even in your own life. You just have memories about things because you weren't really even there. Yeah? Like how people take tons of pictures on vacations. And they come home and they want to show them to you to like convince themselves they were actually in Hawaii. Because you know? basically the head was at work all the time. But when you're really in Hawaii, you don't need any pictures of Hawaii. You were in Hawaii. <laughs> you, may have, you may like taking pictures, but you know what I mean? You'll be so engaged, when it's over, it's complete. There's nothing lacking. It was, a, it was a perfect dance. There's no need for more. Yeah, it's a perfect dance. You move on and there you go. It's traveling lighter. This whole thing is about being economized, pared down. Unnecessary stuff gets dropped off. It's almost like old skin just peels off. You're not peeling it off. Just by the friction of living, it come, gets taken off. Yeah? And after a while, you're streamlined. You don't have tons of wisdom, you just, you know, you know what to do next, yeah? Or you don't know what to do next, but you know what to do about not knowing what to do next, yeah? Things just come, blah, 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 quickly. And then once they're useful, they disappear. They don't get filed and logged and, you know, it's like these talks. I've been giving talks for years. I don't remember any of the analogies or metaphors I used eight years ago, ever. It's just they're gone. They came, they did their little deal, they were used to present something by I'm like Van Morrison just playing, uh, what was that one song? Every show, two hours of the same song for 19, 20 years now. <laughs> I got one tune to play, that's it. 
I basically share on the same thing every night, three nights a week for 19 years. <laughs> Let's hear a Goldie Oldie. That's just one I just heard. <laughs> Expand your repertoire. No, there's no, there's no expansion of the repertoire. I mean, if you don't get this, in a sense, if you can't entertain this, if you don't realize that when you entertain subjectivity, you're entertaining it as an object, if you don't realize that, it's nowhere else to go, really. I mean, if you miss this point, in a sense, it doesn't matter about all the other points you gather. You can have infinite knowledge about what's fucking you, but you're still fucked. Yeah? This is about entertaining the false subject and seeing it not to be you, which allows the sense of subjectivity to become paramount. So what was absent becomes present by your absence. Yeah? When you're present as this, that is, is it's immediately caused to be seemingly absent to you. Yes? It, ha it can't be any other way. When this becomes present, that must recede into seeming absence. When this becomes absent, that's present. Yes? Now, you may really want it to be present while you're present, like a lot of people really want to be here when they get this, but that's not the case. You're not going to be here when you get the message. <laughs> it's an impossibility. You cannot be here to get the message. It's your absence that's the message. <laughs> I think that's great news. Because if it was up to you, you'd fuck it up. <laughs> Somehow, if it was up to us, we'd fuck it up. We would make something that's always available at all times as being very infrequent and very mystical. Never to be had again. Only great men and women from the past have it. Yes? Oh, we're a totally, you know, I'd have to do all this purification to get ready to receive this. You are it! See? When you get purified to receive it, you're receiving the subjectivity as a subject. You can't receive it that way. What's looking is what you're looking for. Just drop the you out and it makes perfect sense. What's looking is what is what's looking for. There's no problem with looking for. That's what happens here. All this place is is about looking for. But all the looking for is inherently what's looking. It doesn't have to be looking for in a certain way. It doesn't have to be looking for a certain thing. Every what's looking for is what's looking. Every moment of what's looking for is what's looking. It's just the seeing has been interpreted and been seen to be a me looking. Yes? That's the dilemma. All there is is the seeing, and yet the mind interprets it as, all right, I, I'll give it that, it's seeing, but there's a me that's seeing, which becomes a way of looking called self-centeredness. Yeah? So the self now becomes to see it. That's not true. It is true, but it's the non-self that's to see it. Yeah? Uh, that's not even it. Non-self would be an object also. It's not that even. Let's say the absence of all objects is the presence. Yeah? <laughs> I can't get any closer than that. Eh? <laughs> so, any questions tonight? It's only ten to two. Last time the meeting was at four fifteen. It's ten to two. We've been here this how many hours? We got here at seven thirty. It's ten to two. You better put a lot of money in the basket. This is a, I would call this a retreat. <laughs> so any questions tonight? Pablo, it's good to see you. You're like the prodigal son, is that the story? Do you ever hear the prodigal son, that story? You know it, right? <laughs> no. The guy left and then he ends up in a pigsty and he's eating corn cobs and then he just thinks, he just entertains the possibility that everything could be okay and immediately 
whatever process it took him to him to get on the road isn't even talked about. He's suddenly on the road and he meets his father. His father gives him a new robe and puts a ring on him and says, Hey, I'm having a feast for you. <laughs> All he had to do was wake up and entertain, and there it was. And it was there the whole time. Yes. But he believed he deserved to be in a pigsty. This is like a mobile prison in a sense. You play every role. You're the jailer. You're the warden. You're the defense attorney. You're the prosecuting attorney. Yes? You're the priest that comes and listens to your confessions. All of that. And wherever you go, there you go. And your faith in the thoughts is what sets up the bars. As many bars, less and less seen. We were down at the desert, we were talking about it, and we went into this big pharmacy, CVS pharmacy. And it was a lot of windows on top and a big sliding window door, and there was a hummingbird stuck inside. This beautiful bird was flying. It was going really fast all around, and it couldn't see how to get out. It could see the windows, but it must have ran into them a few times. It wasn't going to do that anymore. So I said, hey, let's open up the door. So we opened up the door. I stuck my foot in it to keep it open and try to hide. But the hummingbird, defined by that hummingbirdness, couldn't entertain the door. It couldn't see there was an opening, that it wasn't really imprisoned in this pharmacy. It was only its ignorance to the fact of its freedom that was imprisoning it. Yes? So it was destined to keep flying and even landed on a fake paper uh, flower you know, for some kind of product. It landed there like it was going to try to suck some, some uh, sap, uh, whatever you call it, out of it. And so there it is going like, going like this. And there it was. It was like the open gate. Yes, the gate was gate, the open secret, but it couldn't see it. It couldn't see it. So it was destined to keep going. Seeking, 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 and yet its way out was right there, always available at all times. It just couldn't notice it. It couldn't see it. That's what self-centeredness does. It limits your ability, your possibilities. It limits your ability to entertain. It defines how you know things. You know things ever as, always as the knower. Yeah. It defines you. And so what's always available at all times becomes totally unseeable here. And yet you're busily, busily, busily looking for it all day. And it's right in front of you. Why do you think they say it's like the gateless gate? Or the open secret. It's to imply the obviousness of the message, yes? But the thing is, when self-centeredness is identified with, then everything you entertain is entertained as a self. If it's entertained as a self, enlightenment is a thing. Truth is a thing. And it's going to take time to acquire it. You are defined by the system you're identified as. And yet you're not that system. As soon as you drop out of being identified as a self, your mind can entertain being free now. Yes? You can outshine circumstances and situations now. 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 Not after reading books. Now. The whole solution is timeless. We're a time being. A conceptual idea that stretches out in time, so we try to make everything based on time. It doesn't take time to be awake. It's a timeless solution. Therefore, it can't be approached by a process because it has no time to take. So it's, it's so direct, you know, in a way. <laughs> what do you mean by faith? Hmm? What do you mean by faith? Faith? Oh, faith is a hard one to put a thing on. An assurance, a, a confident, let's say a, a deep certainty in a way. That's not brought to you by circumstances or situations, yes? So like when I got hit by a car when I was young, I was in the hospital, and every week they'd come in and talk to me and give me terrible speculations about how my life was going to be, because my legs were destroyed. And every week, and they were supposed to be big authorities, but I had some faith in the unknown that gave me immunity to taking everything they said as the truth, yeah? So every week they say, you're never going to walk, or they're going to be coming back here for years, and this and that, and I'd hear it, and I was not in a great condition, but there was a faith in me that superseded their authority. 
I didn't take what they said to be gospel, yeah? I don't know where it came from, but it really served me well. And that to me is faith. And it wasn't in thought, because they were coming from thought. What they were saying was all about thought. Yeah? You put your attention on that faith, but you can't dial it up. No. Just see where it goes. You can tell where your faith is, it's not your faith, you can tell where faith is by what's appearing in your life. If thoughts seem to be real and hold a lot of weight, you have faith in them. If you don't have faith in them, your attention and interest is withdrawn from them, your interest and attention is now being fueled and being drawn to other things than thoughts. Yeah? When that's... When your interest and attention is wedded to the thought system, because it, there's an identification with the center of the thought system, the idea of being a self, yes? Then your interest and attention is there to reinforce the thought system. They illuminate the thoughts. They, they brighten the stage of all that fucking what's not happening drama. When that interest and attention is taken out of the idea of being a self, they brighten and they illuminate other things, yes? And they also bring about a sense of, or intimation of the no thing. Because that's where they come from. Yeah. I have a question. Yeah. So obviously these talks help us travel. I know that's why we keep coming back. It's way of like prodigal sons. For you, does it help you travel later actually giving these talks? Well, there's no you, first of all, to help. But yeah, yeah I travel say later. It was, say it was a Paul. I travel later for sure. I get, see, I listen to this. I've been to more meetings than you have. I've been to every meeting Paul gave so far. Thousands of them. I have. And I've been listening to them, sincerely. It isn't like, it's, it isn't like me talking to you. It's just talking. I'm listening as much as I hope you're listening. Seriously. And the thing is, like Grace said, the way he likes to listen, I really like. He's not following the words. It's a sense. There's a conveyance of a sense or of an energy. That's the message, is the energy. You can hopefully you'll feel it in the room when we gather. There's a sense something gets magnified. That's it. That that's like worth five hundred pages of scriptures. That. That sense of presence, yes? You may think it's produced by this. It isn't produced by anything. We're just, it just makes it more obvious in this world of appearances. And hopefully you'll be able to leave here and, and it carries along, yes? More and more you travel later, yeah? Haven't you? Yeah. Shit. Of course, in Miracles, I used to love it. This is how it describes it to me. It says, you know, you and I are the dreamer of this dream, yeah? We're the dreamer of this dream. And what we're going to do is we're going to dream ourselves out of it. Yeah? And as we're dreaming ourselves out of it, as this, yes? As we are dreaming ourselves out of it, as this, what's going to happen? The dream is going to get happier. <laughs> Not a bad deal, eh? <laughs> I mean, I love that. Shoo! Yeah. Oh, you got here at the right time, man. It's over. <laughs> yes, you got the perfect... This is the, this is the whole message. It's over. <laughs> Any more questions? No? All right, we'll uh, pass the basket. Here you go. Ah, pretty good catch there. Yeah, that's pretty good. Sensor in your hat picks up big bills that I did. <laughs> a little light goes on so I can see my chair. Make a little note. They'll get front row seats when I become big and popular. On <laughs> my inner circle. <laughs>
So we have a meeting Saturday in Marin, 11.15, and then Monday and Wednesday. Monday here at 7, Wednesday at 7.30. And we'll be going on this till the end of January. Then I may be going away a little bit. But, and we, everyone knows zenvichlap.com? That's the website, zenvichlap. Mondays at 7 here in this room. Usually you come up the back, it's good. And then uh, 7.30, it's when, uh, 7.30 Wednesday. Nights. All right, we'll end with a serenity prayer.